Westlaw Pirates and welcome to the show. We're here to share our thoughts on Northwestern athletics and college sports with thoughts and analysis from the visceral to the statistical. We run our tailgate with the red pirate flag flying high above as we give no quarter, especially the fourth. I'm Sam Walter. I'm John Lacombe. And I'm Eric Skos Gaspo. Gentlemen, um, happy new year and uh, happy Citrus Bowl victory, my friends. Wow. 35 to 19. New Year, same sweet football team. Loving Absolutely, it. <laughs> it was it was awesome. Um, it is Sunday night, January third. I I feel like Karma is telling us that we should have recorded this podcast yesterday, but um, that is what it is. I don't know. Yeah, I I know. There's uh, if there's anything you all want to talk about after today's day of men's and women's wildcat basketball it's the citrus bowl and we're happy to oblige <laughs> yeah th- there there was some basketball being played i think i saw brian harson at center court um during the women's game i'm not 100 percent sure i'll have to check on that oh god i hope they ran a long interview the wisdom you can glean from that guy just, just <laughs> a generational Pic- talent picture really. in picture i mean why would i want to watch the game in high def on my high def tv when i can see brian harson making no facial expressions while explaining what he thinks about the team that he really hasn't spent any time with yet. Yeah. Well, I mean, who who would want to do that? But um, we are here to talk Northwestern football, even though ESPN was not. Uh, Cats. Oh my goodness. Like got off to an amazing start up 14, nothing. And then Auburn came back and got it to within one. And we just really put it away in the second half. And like, I, I don't know about you guys, but I, I never really felt worried. I was worried. I was worried at one, at one specific point. Um, and then, and then Auburn went three and out and we never looked back. Um, but can, can, can we just start at the most exciting point where like, at the beginning of the fourth quarter. Yep. Fourth and one. We have just stopped Bo Nix for no gain at the 50-yard line and take over possession. And we proceeded to just run the ball down their throats. Cam Porter for 19. Cam Porter for 9. Cam Porter for 4. Cam Porter for 8. Timeout Auburn. Cam Porter for 4. Cam Porter for 5. Cam Porter for, Cam Porter for a touchdown. That would like they were all up the middle too. All up the middle. I have never seen anything like that from Northwestern against this kind of opponent, and it was uh, like I I was ready to run through the wall of my house after that drive. It was so awesome. Um, it was uh, like everything that we have hoped for from the moment we saw Man Bear Pete step on the field and what he did to Maryland all season long it's it's what we got geeked out for when we saw cam porter against illinois and then what he was able to do early on against ohio state in the big 10 championship game and it was just it was a thing of beauty i have never been more satisfied with a win in my northwestern wildcats like history than i was with this win because like because of the setting because of the opponent because of the way we handled our business and the relaxing sensation that i had for the final you know 12 minutes of this football game yeah, the 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 way this one played out offensively, and first of all, I'm kind of with Sam. I never really felt worried after the the long Auburn touchdown pass that made it 14-13. Um, 
there was a moment where only because of the nature of the play itself, a little bit of the Michigan State first quarter mindset crept in, um, which doesn't the really Riley Lee's run on fourth and two. Well, well, that came directly after. I just mean like when there was the when they say oh when they scored when they scored gotcha when they scored and it was like such a bang bang play gotcha. and it was their longest gotcha. play of the game the longest play we'd given up in a long time really since the first quarter of that game of the Michigan State game and only you know less for an X's and O's reason and only because of the scars from the first yeah. quarter of that Michigan State game that kind of crept in that was the only part I never felt like Auburn was in this game. Yeah. Um, at, at any point I, that that didn't worry like I Auburn didn't worry me offensively and that and that play was you know AJ Hampton thought he had safety coverage and he didn't and whether one of the safeties messed up or AJ messed up or whatever the case may be like that like I didn't come off of that play play thinking oh gosh Auburn is going to, to blitz us now what I was worried about was the other side of the ball because we had done nothing offensively since the first quarter and we proceeded to go like I, I mean we had a, we had a bit of a sustained drive, but a fourth and two, a, a handoff to Riley Lees and John. I think you commented very effectively like let's not get too cute. Like that was a that was a real cute play call, and it did not work, and it and it had me quite worried. Well, one one, one thing one thing I just really want to mention though is the factor that the sun was playing in this mm-hmm. first quarter. We were going south to north. We had the sun at our backs. We moved the ball at will. Auburn couldn't do anything. Three and out, three and out. Second and third quarter, we were going into the sun. And it showed because that, you know, um, Ramsey got a little bit, you know, his accuracy was off a little bit. Things just weren't clicking as well. And then in the fourth quarter, we had the sun at our backs again. And and boom, boom, boom. The score we did get in the third quarter was mainly done on the ground, culminated with the Peyton Ramsey 30-yard touchdown scamper. But like the sun, I think like, and that's something that, you know, if, if the announcers weren't talking about Brian Harson and how he was coaching Boise State in the first responder bowl in 2018, that was canceled mid game. Um, if they weren't talking about that, they might've noticed that the direction of travel of the offenses was being affected by the sun. So, so there was that there was a little of that. And we heard, you know, boots on the ground, um, friend of the pod, Philip Rossman Reich, who was at the game and lives in Orlando, was basically talking about it and was like, yeah, I'm here. That's a real thing. Like the sun is really a factor. Um, and so there is that. I think, you know, obviously everyone points. And like I said, the discuss said the moment when I made the tweet was we ran that really cute play. And, you know, it's one of those things where. It's not so much a Bajakian thing. It's well known that bowl games are a time when offenses in general break out all kinds of stuff. Like, that's just something that happens in bowl games. Like, the playbook gets emptied. And if there's something you've been wanting to run and you've been wanting to try out, etc., like, those are the times. Or, in a normal non-standard year, right, you have even more time to run practices, you have even more time to tinker, etc. Um... That was one particular play. I think there was a feeling um, for large parts of the game that a guy whose name, if if we haven't mentioned it yet, it's a crime. Um, but Peyton Ramsey was white hot for so much of this game, not only throwing the ball, but running the ball. Yeah. And I think there was a feeling that we just, especially when that became clear in that period of time in the middle of the game where we weren't really scoring, that 
the ball should just be in his hands and we should just be throwing, throwing, throwing and not cute throwing, not like running any kind of special packages. Just like let the kid cook because he's on fire right now. And well, well, on on top of that, and you're a hundred percent right about that. On top of that, since that beautiful bomb that leads through to, to McGowan at the beginning of the Wisconsin game that almost put us up two touchdowns, you know, off the jump there. Um, Every team knows that Lee's when he's on the field and in motion is a potential end around wide receiver pass, like kind of player. And it went, and it went really wrong in the the Big Ten yeah, championship. Ex- exactly, game. and it and and it. I think they gave it to him twice in this game, and Auburn sniffed it out both times. It didn't go disastrously like it did against Ohio State, but um, I feel like th- that's something that I think everybody had on tape about Northwestern and was effectively prepared for since Wisconsin. Right. And so there's there's that. But I think that was kind of the the point when everyone was like, all right, let's stop screwing around here because we should just have our boot on this team's throat right now. And and um, that's a good place Not, to go back. Nine plays, 87 yards on the well, next that, drive. Well, that's well, that's a good place to go back to what Scuzz was talking about, because that's exactly what we did. Everybody was kind of went to Northwestern was like, all right, enough screwing around. And Northwestern was like, yeah, you know what? Enough screwing around. Let's just beat the crap out of this team. And that's exactly what they did on the next two drives. But I want to circle back to where Scuzz started um, because I think it's really important and it's a really important thing to dig into when you're looking at um, that kind of soft middle of the game where we were a little bit stagnant and you're kind of like, okay, so like we were just all over this team at the beginning. How come we're not stretching the lead? And the run and the way that we were running the ball has a lot to do with that. And I want to say really quickly, that's not me saying we were calling the wrong plays. That's not what I'm saying at all. I'm saying that there was a concerted effort to establish the run as much as possible and wear Auburn down. And wear them down, we did. Yeah, and that's, that's why we rolled over them in the fourth quarter. Well, if that's that's get... that's vintage Bajakian, right? That's been mm-hmm. that's right. been yeah. part of his ethos everywhere he's been forever. And like you, you saw, you saw the tempo in in the first quarter, just like up to the line, up to the line, and that that's how it starts. Up to the line, you you run the ball, pound the pound them at the line as much as you possibly can, and they'll wear out, in, which they did in the in the fourth quarter. Right. So, I mean, I think the idea of letting the line cook was a great idea and it it bared fruit later on in terms of the lack of success. Right. Because you can look at Cam's numbers and he, you know, 33 carries for 98 yards, three yards a carry. That's that's a little bit misleading because really he was doing worse than that for the first half of the game <laughs> and better than that for the second half of the game. And it's kind of one of those teams where it's like, would you rather be the team that runs really well in the first quarter or would you rather be the team that runs really well in the fourth quarter? And it's like, if you make me choose, obviously I'm going to pick the fourth quarter. But I think it's really important to get into what the problems were um, with the, you know, the lack of, of yards per carry success in the middle of the game. Because a lot of it has to do with Cam. And I briefly touched on it in a tweet that we made um, earlier this weekend. But I think it's it's really important to dig down into. Because 
you look at the raw talent of this kid and it's just eye popping. It jumps off the charts. Like he's this short battering ram. Scuzz has made the very apt Tyrell Sutton comparison before. It is a great comparison. That's the type of player that he is. He's also a true freshman. And I think it's really important to take that into account because a couple of things are apparent. One, to integrate him into the offense earlier in the season, um, and find a way to, to get to get miles on a guy who is this young and find a way to work him in that he was given that wildcat package. And he had that wildcat package at the from the very beginning of the season. And as his carries went up, the use of that package went up because it's something that was installed basically for him. And you see us using it again and again and again. We thought we weren't going to use it against Ohio State, and then we used the crap out of it against Ohio State, right? It's like they love to use that package with him. And I think one of the reasons is is because it plays to a lot of his strengths. The guy gets to the hole fast and hits like a hammer. What you did see, though, is we were running um, something that we've been just aching to run for so much of the season, which is toss sweeps right? Stuff that has multiple pulling linemen going to the boundary. And a thing about toss sweeps, right, is so much of it is on um, the linemen to the strong side who aren't pulling to not get blown off the ball so that those other linemen can pull and get it get out into space. If you see two big boys running free into the outside, the play has kind of already worked. Um, and now it's just on the back. And this is something that Justin Jackson was phenomenal. He was the best, the best. He was the the very best at, and just the ability to be to be so quick when you need it, but to be so patient when it's necessary. And Cam is just he's a jumpy dude right now. And I think remember watching of all the toss sweeps that were ran for him, and it was a bunch. The most successful one was I think when one of the pulling guys was Ray Niro. Because Ray was so fast that he actually beat Cam out to where <laughs> it was trying to go. Because Cam ain't waiting. This, and then, this is maybe a place also where JJ's like lack of a lot of speed probably helped. Yeah, right. And and then there was that other one where um, let's Cam went to war with Zacoby McLean, Auburn's best linebacker in this game, and it was a knockdown drag out, and they both. Um, through some major haymakers at, at each other in this game. But there was the one play where there was a toss sweep and Cam went out and chose to cut inside away from his protection directly into Zacoby McLean, who lit him up while Man Bear Pete ran free out to the left. Uh, like a, a one-man convoy being like, get on my giant butt. I'm going to lead you to the promised land. And, and you know, those, it's, again... This is all stuff that it's all fixable. Cam's you forget like this guy's a true freshman, and then you watch these plays where again on the drive Scuzz is talking about the boot on their throat drive. He grabbed McLean and one armed him into the turf, and went <laughs> right by him. And there's a gif of it up if you want to watch it. It's up on our Twitter page right now. I mean, you're talking a guy who the you know as Scuzz later mentioned, you know ESPN couldn't tell us enough was an NFL linebacker um, flattened him into the turf. So it's well, like, well, an ESPN pissed me off because they posted a gif of an Auburn receiver 
I think it was on the touchdown run, right? Like stiff arming, stiff arming Hampton, Hampton, yeah. and um, like made it about like some sort of bullshit about like, oh, this is how you stiff arm. Which like, I'm sorry, uh, were you watching the same game I was? Because this play is way more indicative of of an effective. Um, like 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 a like a stiff arm play that like sprung a guy for a long gain versus oh I happened to beat a corner deep I just like it it infuriated me so but yeah and and and, and the way you followed uh, their tweet with with your with our example of uh, Porter just shoving him to the ground uh, kind of reminds me of the way that Brian Harson has now followed <laughs> Gus Malzahn in two separate occasions. Uh, Carson I, followed Malzahn at Arkansas State and then followed him again here at Auburn. So I did, something gonna, I, did, I, wanted to I did not know that, Sammy. Thank you. Yeah, <laughs> well, you're welcome. Yeah. I know. It's just it's just amazing. Um, but this is uh, it, me saying all that, though, just a long way of saying that, you know, the whole SEC speed thing, it's not untrue. And we spent a lot of the game running some pulling stuff, some outside stuff, Um because it was there, because our line had the ability to dominate and, and allow those guys to get out there. But you've got a young back who's kind of looking and trying to find his way in some of these things, and you just can't outrun those guys. This is all fixable stuff. And the thing is, again, circling all the way back to what Scuzz said at the beginning, in the middle of that game, even when we were doing that stuff and we were having some tough sledding with some of those running plays. And a lot of us, including us, were being like, we should be throwing more and stuff. And the and ESPN was being like, look at these SEC linebackers, blah, 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 right? The bottom line is, that's also an SEC defensive line, and they were getting beat up and beat up and beat up. And all of that bill came due in the fourth quarter. So it's like, on one hand, yeah. There was that middle of the game where we were like, we should have been like lighting this team up. But you know what? By the fourth quarter, they were just done. And uh, and that was it. And we just flattened them. So I thought like what like I thought we did a pretty good job of of prepping for this game in that, you know, we were pretty sure that our offense was gonna have opportunities against the Sovereign D, which just hadn't looked that great during the course of the year. I think statistically, like advanced stat wise, they they looked pretty similar to Nebraska on defense. We thought we'd have opportunities. John, as you talked about, like Ramsey was absolutely dealing in this game. His his 30-yard touchdown run is one of the more impressive. I mean, just just knowing that there is a lot of speed and talent on that on that Auburn defense, as as uncoordinated as they might be at sometimes as a defense, there's a lot of individual playmakers, right? And he made one of their safeties look absolutely silly. Oh, oh yeah, whoever whoever was Smoke Monday or whoever that moment when he's like, oh no, he's gonna run for this. And I don't, and I can't get there. Was pretty. Wait, yeah. well, is no, that no, the no. Smoke Monday, who ESPN was fawning all over oh, the God. entire game and re- referencing his uh, interception return. Yes, that one was, was that the one that uh, Peyton Ramsey. Well, Pey- Peyton I, Ramsey dusted. He dusted somebody who was like, oh, sh- oh shit, I can't get to him. And then I think there was a safety that he basically like, like juked at the seven yard line, effectively, where he 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 just shoulder shaked and then went right by him, and um, that was. Goddamn impressive to me because like Peyton Ramsey, bless his soul, is is not the type of runner that generally does that to defenders, and um, he like like that safety's gear is still on the field in Orlando. Um, but I thought another spot where Northwestern showed out really well, you know, in this in this SEC speed whatever is our receivers against their secondary, and you know we were down arguably our fastest receiver in Kyrick McGowan. 
they were down their top cornerback. It didn't really matter. Um, you saw RCB doing RCB things on the very first drive, that beautiful touchdown pass and catch. I, I, I think, John, you said at the time, was that Ramsey's large, longest pass of the year? It, it was up there. Because yeah. I don't think he has a 40-yarder. It's like 35 is about – that's about as long as he's had. And and granted, I know that, like, two defensive backs ran into each other, but you still like, – like, RCB still ran away from the safety at the end of that play. And then you had a number – like, Lee's had a phenomenal final game as a Wildcat, assuming it's his final game. Um, With a bad through, back, fight, too. Yeah. I mean, yeah. he, was, he was hurting. But, he like, he showed his speed and his ability to get open um, – that touchdown, if not, you know, plenty of times earlier in the game. John Rain had a nice game. I just, I thought Northwestern, like, looked the part. And, and I had people asking me after the game, like, oh, I, like, how'd you guys win? I saw you guys won. How'd you do it? I was like, we just lined up and kicked their ass. Like, there was no, there was no trickeration. There was no, like, mismatch we took advantage of. Don't let anybody tell you Auburn was shorthanded because we were just as shorthanded. And I just like, and on, and on defense, they weren't shorthanded. Like no. it's just horseshit. No, it's just, and it was just, it was like, we lined up and beat the crap out of them, which if you look at all the stuff going into this game, like we were the better team on paper and we should have won this game. And it looked maybe a little bit better than I, it certainly looked better than I, than I expected or anticipated, but um, it's just awesome to have that happen and not in the, Alamo Bowl or the Pinstripe Bowl, nothing against those bowls, but it was the Citrus Bowl. It was a primetime spot in a spotlight situation, much like the Wisconsin game earlier in the year, right? Like like a spot where the bright lights were shining on Northwestern and they came to play and played awesome. Yeah, I the one the one thing I would add just really quickly with the receivers too is um if you're if you're trying to look forward, Wayne Dennis showed out Ooh. in the first quarter with an unbelievable catch. Uh, where I was like, who was that guy? That's too big to be RCB. And then yeah. I was like, oh, it's Wayne Dennis. But even more so, I think there was that moment for me, and, and it's probably a moment that, that a lot of you have already had, and if you, you haven't, it's going to happen soon. When you realize that that Jeremy Ebert, Austin Carr, um, Flynn Nagel, Riley Lee's through line runs right through Bryce Kurtz. He is going to be that guy yep. now. And you can see it. He had two awesome catches. The play immediately before Peyton's run was a would-be touchdown play. That was an awesome throw and an awesome catch. And Curse was about a half a foot out of bounds. Um, and that would have been a touchdown too. Um, and he had another one that barely missed. I mean, he's just awesome. And he's going to be the next guy in, in this this lineage. And you can see it. So that's the other thing. I mean, but just that. The depth Every, the wide receivers just, yeah, like you said, dominant performance. So let's talk about the, our defensive uh, prowess in this game. Did, did, and did, they, did they have a good game? I, I, I think so. And I mean, they did, it, they did what they could against, you know, Heisman candidate Bo Nix and his amazing, you know. I, if, you know, if Bo, if Bo Nix had just been healthy, guys, um, I, I couldn't see it. But but the announcers would have us believe that he, you know, was missing a leg in this game. And if only he'd been healthy, um, I'm sure it would have been really different against the best scoring defense in the country. I don't want to hear that Tank Bigsby wasn't playing. You know, I, it's just another excuse that, you know, the, the announcers from ESPN were just lavishing Auburn with as many excuses as possible, completely neglecting the fact that 
we weren't we didn't have potentially the second offensive tackle to be drafted in 2021 on our team all season. You know, that that's just, it, it's the the best player I, I, I don't not, hear it. the best player to not play in that game is Greg Newsom. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and I think to the the I mean really, I mean if you look at Auburn's numbers, I mean they were lucky to get 19 points. They scored that one touchdown really late in the game. Um and that was pretty much it. One thing that I that I really wanted to point out though, and this is something that I guess I was thinking about a little bit where um the play where Hampton got beat, right? And the play that had us thinking about the Michigan State game. Um, there was something I was kind of thinking about, and then it crystallized a little bit in the Ohio State-Clemson game. Um, and this is a game where, again, this is a whole separate thing, you know, about Clemson's receivers getting dusted over the top and all these big plays that we did not give up against Ohio State. But that's a whole separate thing. But one thing that it had me thinking about is, you know, Clemson's quarterbacks corners, whoever they are, we're all massive recruits, right? And they're all awesome athletes and they just kind of were getting dusted by Ohio State's more awesome receivers and et cetera. Um, but it, it kind of got me thinking of something. And a lot of you have probably heard this kind of analogy before. It's not even a sports comparison, but the whole idea of, right, like, like public service, right? Or like you're like the mayor of a town or city councilman or whatever, and you've got to solicit funds to fix all the roads, right? To fix all the roads in a town. And the problem with doing that, right, is if you do all the fixing, there's never a moment where everyone's going to come to you and be like, the roads are just so awesome, right? Like, you're only going to hear about it if there are potholes or if something goes wrong, right? So you're paying so that something doesn't go wrong. But then the fact that something never goes wrong is never going to lead to accolades, right? I bring this up. Because we have spent so much of our time as Northwestern football fans and a big portion of the time on this pod watching Northwestern defend the pass with super soft coverage or just straight zone coverage to cover for various inadequacies that we have had in the secondary at various points in time, right? Now we're playing the super big boy football where our corners are awesome. And they just stay rolled up all the time. They, they maybe when, they maybe start the game a little bit back just to get a feel for it. But yeah, they're up in they're right. up in the, the the receiver's face. We're playing super aggressive football, and the thing is, when that happens, there are the occasions where something goes wrong, where someone makes a little mistake, and suddenly AJ Hampton's getting burned for sixty yards, and you're like, oh my god, how did that happen? Or those several plays at the beginning of the Michigan State game, right? But like the analogy that I was making, what you don't see are the other 99% of the time where your defense kicks that much more ass because you're playing so much more aggressively. And I think that's an important thing to keep in mind, right? Because when Auburn wasn't going over the top in that, you know, on that one play, basically, they were just getting hammered. Um, This is a team that, to Sam's point, Tank Bigsby or not, they couldn't do nothing on the ground. They were just getting smoked. And a lot of those yards, I mean, you can look and be like, all right, Nick's through for 292. I mean, like, he wasn't having an accurate day. And no, 25 of his, 42. Right, and his only touchdown came on that one long play. And aside from that, they didn't really do anything the entire game except for that one garbage TD at the end of the game. So, like, the just keep that in mind. Like, when you look at something and the idea of, like, 
a, a Hampton or a Cam Ruiz early in the season getting hung out to dry. Yeah, you wish you'd have those plays back. But understand, like, this is a, a dominant defense filled with cockiness and swagger and aggressiveness that's been playing downhill all year. That's why we've kicked the crap out of everybody on defense. Um, so I just wanted to make that point because well, I think, you know. Well, can, can I, can I mention a, a, go ahead, can I mention a, just a couple, other, a, a couple other stats here? You look at time of possession. We had it for 35-42. They had it for 24-18. They were 2 of 13 on third down. They were 1 of 3 on fourth down. They had 61 total rushing yards. Um, 2.3 average. Yeah. This was just domination. And you know, we, we talked about it earlier. The fact that we had the ball for 10 more minutes than they did in the heat, mauling them up front as much as we were, yeah, they their defense tuckered out, and our defense was nice and rested. Right. Well, I just like we when we previewed this team, we were worried about Bigsby because he was a really good back, but the difference between us and literally everyone else covering this game is that we knew that the Trey Sermon performance was a a factor. Like, yes, Trey Sermon was awesome against us, and he was really awesome again against Clemson. But we chose to stop Justin Fields, and and Trey Sermon benefited greatly from that. That effort would not have been necessary in this game with Bo Nix. We would have been able to put our corners on islands like we did, roll up our safeties uh, into the box to stop Bigsby, which we did against their running their running backs anyway. And let's be clear, Auburn. I had some some Auburn fan came at us uh, midweek with like Auburn's offensive line has been horrible all year. You don't know what you're talking about. But like uh, all the advanced stats say otherwise that Auburn's O line has been pretty darn good, and they've got a lot of depth at running back too. Sean Shivers was supposed to be their starting running back this year, um, based on you know, like preseason prognostications and whatnot, and was a really high level recruit. DJ Williams is a good running back. Bo Nix is supposed to be a load and hard to take down. We didn't have a problem with any of these dudes, and like, could could t- could Williams have re- or could could Bigsby have you know rumbled for a hundred yards on us? Sure, but I am quite confident we would have approached it in the same way that we deal with Wisconsin's running backs and Iowa's running backs and Nebraska's running game, and it would not have been an Ohio State situation. Now, on top of that, the other thing we talked about in the preview was that you know. They had one really good receiver in Anthony Schwartz, who, you know, was kind of like the matchup nightmare for us. Him being taken off the, the the field kind of, you know, leveled the playing field, if you will, not having Newsom on our side. We were missing our best corner. They were missing their best wideout. And I said Seth Williams and, and Eli Stove, who are their other two top, you know, receivers, just don't worry me because they're underneath guys that we're gonna that we're gonna contain. And that's exactly what you saw. You saw Eli Stove catching he only caught four balls, but I swear to God, three of them were on third down and were like two yards in front of the chains. And they just like, it's, this is where some of the fire your coach, go home for Christmas and then come back for the bowl game stuff probably did hurt Auburn. I like, they looked discombobulated and not really well put together um, Wait, as a team. Did, did they fire their coach? Yeah. Who, and they, who did they, so, re- who did well, they replace well, him with? <laughs> Just wondering. I, I I wasn't sure. Sorry. Go go ahead. 
I, I don't know where I was going to go next with that other than, than, um, <laughs> than the fact that Brian Harson has a lot of talent to work with next year. Cause a lot of these guys are coming back. <laughs> I, so I, I know where, I know where kind of where I would go here. And I think this is, this contributes. And again, it contributes to all this saltiness and yeah, I know you're all listening being like, you guys are just salty as hell. Yeah, we are. Yep. <laughs> and I hope you guys are too, because that was a pain in the ass to listen to. Um, and kind of folding it into that and relative to the defense is, I think this feeling that that lingered over the entire thing with the Knicks talk and the Auburn talk and, oh, who are they missing and everything, is like this whole feeling from Northwestern Nation, rightfully so, that can basically be summed up as like, Ohio State scored 22 against us. Who the F are you? Like, you're not going to get points against us because we don't give up points. We have this ridiculous exception that proves the rule where future Northern Illinois quarterback Rocky Lombardi had the most bizarre quarter in the entire college football season. Really, truthfully. I don't mean just for Northwestern. There's nothing that runs against the grain of the season more than the first quarter of that Michigan State game. And frankly, the first quarter of that game is what's keeping Northwestern from being probably about the fifth best team in the country right now. So there's that. And it's like, aside from that game, no one scored points on us all season at all, including Ohio State, who just blew the doors off Clemson. Who are you and your busted, not good offense from middle of the road SEC? You're not going to score on us. They didn't score on us. And then we had to listen to excuses. And it's like, no, it's like if you could almost feel that hard 90 degree turn at the end of the game when they suddenly had to start giving credit to Mike Hankowitz and acknowledging the significance of the game and the significance to him. And it's like, yeah, no, we just have arguably the best defense in the country. And they had to play that this week and they weren't going to get any points. And that's just the end of it. So, as, so, you know, it's it's that. You all know. You all know you were just as pissed as we were. Um, but, you know, don't think don't think for a second that we weren't going to relitigate all of this. Because, I mean, the, the bottom line is this game was about Northwestern. This game was not about a middle-of-the-road, nobody-Auburn team. It was about the number 14 team in the country, the second-best team in the Big Ten, laying the wood. And that's what happened. Well, and, and we, it wasn't just us that were salty. Like our, our buddy Chris Giannini, who is an LSU guy, lives in SEC country, like deeply follows the SEC, was right on board with us. And I mean, now, now he's he's much more apt to call out the SPN as like a shill for the SEC, for the SEC because they've got the biggest fan bases or whatever. Um, and, and they pay them the most money and they pay them the most money. And he was, he was right there with, so it's not, it's not just our, you know, biased view here, but, um, but God damn it, ESPN, like that was nonsense. Yeah. But whatever. I mean, the bottom line is, I think one of the things that we all have coming out of this game is this feeling that, I mean, at the end of the day, and we'll talk about it in a second, but there's a chance that this is going to be a top 10 team in the country at the end of the season. And yet we're all going to be pissed and all feeling like we've been under respected and that we deserve more, and that's the right attitude to be taking going forward. Um, so let, let's let's talk about that because you know we we went we went into this game at number fourteen. North Carolina lost, Indiana lost, Florida lost again, and so that that's now a four loss Florida team. 
Well, um, I mean, real. I mean, right. But Florida losses don't count. So really, they oh, are, right, 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 right. Oh, I, I forgot. Like, they, I, I'm they, pretty sure they're undefeated still. Yeah, no, they they did stop playing after after the Alabama game. That like, right. that, I guess that Oklahoma game just yeah. For, I I forgot. I forgot. It didn't. It, that didn't count. <laughs> no. Yes, but real talk. They yes, we're finally going to be ranked above that friggin' Florida team. Yes. <laughs> but I mean, is there any reason to to expect that we won't be at like that? We're going to be number nine, number ten, nine or ten in the country at the at the end of this after the uh, Ohio State and uh, Bama game. Um, yeah, like think about that for a sec. Do we do the we get la- to eight? Do we get to eight if everybody puts Clemson at, at twelve? <laughs> the, if if there's oh. a full on <laughs> mutiny against Clemson, if there's a full on knockdown drag out mutiny against the ACC. Then yes, we could potentially rise higher. Realistically, I I feel like we're going to be tenth. I feel like we are a, yeah. a made Georgia field goal away from being ninth. I think we would have jumped Georgia if Cincinnati had gotten that win. Um, but I think that the that the committee, after basically screwing Cincinnati all season, is going to do right by Cincinnati and leave them in the top ten. So oh, you think, I think you think so? You think that? I, really? It, so if, oh if it, man, if that so if that doesn't happen. If it doesn't happen, then we will be ninth. Um, and either way, we're going to finish this season as a as a top ten team in the country. I'll, There's no I'll, doubt about that. I'll believe that. I'll believe that. I'll believe that Florida falls out of the top ten when I see it. I mean, I the, it's I mean, nonsense. I mean, it's, it's nonsense. No, it's true. But... Well, I think they're trying to figure out a way now to to get them into the college football playoff. I think there's still a <laughs> way to rig away. I mean, you know, Kyle Trask. And his three first quarter interceptions, you know, I mean, I, you know, got to get that Heisman campaign started again. So, um, no, but I think, and it is right. Like, I mean, like you were just saying, I mean, stop and let that sink in. This is going to be a top 10 team in college football at the end of the season. Mm-hmm. When was it, when was the last time Northwestern was uh, ranked top 10 at the end of the year? The only thing I can got to be 95, would, right? Yeah. 95, the Rose Bowl year. Yeah. It is. And I think, and again, it's, it really bears mentioning that this is a team. And and again, we were all there. We all know, and we all know that there were reasons that it happened and there were reasons beyond luck. And Northwestern has historically had that problem wearing the mantle of favorite. Um, And all those things factored in and, you know, I'm not going to relitigate the whole insanity of the Michigan state game, but just know if we, if we won that game, um, which is a game that statistically runs in the face of every other game from this season. We're a top five team in the country, and uh, you know CFP we're, we're not in the New Year's New Year's Six easy. Oh, easily, and and more than likely taking Iowa State's spot and thumping that ridiculous Oregon team that is quote unquote the Pac-12 championship champion. Um, the but either way, it's a it's a top ten team in the country easily. Um, with the best defense in the country. Um, that's not really up for debate. Um, they they are. And the you know, and an offense that that had its moments, obviously. Um, but again, it's it's one of those things where it's you we all felt really salty down the stretch. And I think it really started not even after the Michigan State game, but probably like a week later. And that whole period in the week leading up to the Illinois game and then everything that happened with Ohio State and everything, et cetera. And, you know, we were all pissed about the way Ohio State was treated. But I think you all feel the way we did, that the real thing is about 
the way Northwestern is treated. And it's everything from, right, from the run-up to, to this whole thing of us being an afterthought, to the announcers, to later in the evening um, in, the, in that Ohio State game, right, where Chris Fowler at the end of the game is casually throwing out, well, you know, it was a down year for the Big Ten, and I think everyone agrees with that this year, right? Where it's like, uh, no, no, um, Indiana, up until, granted, their game against Ole Miss, um, was a top 10 team in the country. Northwestern's a top 10 team in the country right now. Iowa's an awesome football team who's top three in the conference in offense and defense. Um, it just, but this notion that, well, if the, if the logo doesn't say Penn State or the logo doesn't say Michigan and they're not good, it's a down year for the conference. And, you know, so it's all those things. It's all of that direct or indirect disrespect for a flat, awesome Northwestern football team. And I think it's one of those things where it's, it's good because you know the players feel it too. And to be in a position where you finish the season 10th or higher in the nation and are still pissed off because you feel like you're being disrespected, like that's the dream. That's what you want to carry into the next season. I mean, if it, if it was a Wisconsin or, or a Penn State or a Michigan, even a Nebraska that did what we did in the Big Ten championship game, the, the narrative would have been totally different about the big 10 and how up or down it is. And, you know, this would have been like Nebraska versus Auburn storied, blah, 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 blah. like just it's, it's, it's laundry and it's nonsense and it's infuriating. Even when you hear Justin Fields in the run up to the Clemson game being like, I wouldn't even let myself watch the tape of the Northwestern game after that. It's like, well, good for you, dude, because good news, you're not going to have to play a defense nearly that good for the rest of the season. So, like, you know, how how good does that like that Buckeye performance against Clemson make us look? They went out and curb stomped Clemson, kicked the crap out of Clemson, kicked the crap out of them. Hey, let's start here. Let's start here. Um, there are two Northwestern names on the All-American list on defense. There's only one Clemson name, um, and it's an honorable mention, just like Greg Newsom. So let like, like, and it wasn't just. And the other thing too, it wasn't just Chris Olave going over the top. No, nope. it was multiple receivers who played in the Big Ten championship game going over the top and just dusting Clemson receivers. Um, and. Right. And I mean, the narrative, right, that it was like, oh, you know, Justin Fields really got it back on track. Yeah, because he wasn't playing Northwestern. Like I like it's the same. And but I mean, again, it's it's that disrespect. And it's the fact that that, you know, people were already talking. It's like, get ready for us to not be ranked going into next season. It's like, well, we're going to be ranked. But you're right. We ain't going to be ranked 10th. We will be kicked down the ladder. And it's it's again, it's it's the disrespect. We're all very familiar with it. But this is just going to be a team that is going to still be stacked with talent next year. And it's the exact mindset you want that team to have. Let's talk about Mike Hankwitz here for a sec. Yes. Um, and and give, give this man his due 400 career wins uh, as an assistant coach for college football. 51 years. He was, he was coaching college football. My God. And like to go out the way he did, you know, putting that defense, like putting that defense together at Northwestern, which is not traditionally a powerhouse, but to put together one of the top five defenses in the country easily, if not higher, and and to go out, you know, just completely dismantling an SEC quote unquote spe- SEC speed 
completely dismantling that. And then, you know, for Fitz to, instead of just talking him up in the post-game interview. This, this was so cool. This was so cool. Gave him the mic. He's like, this, this, is about, this is about Hank. Talk to him. That was awesome. Like you've seen, Hank player... sees the Gatorade bath come. He's like, "Bring it, let's bring go! It. Come on!" <laughs> he didn't I mean, run away like Jimbo or Kirby did. All week, you've seen um, former Northwestern players. I saw Corbin Bryant was in it. Like, I, and, and some of these guys, I don't know if, if they even played. Bryant might have been before Hank's time, even. But um, all these former players talking about how much they love Hankowitz, and it's just, it's awesome. I, I love that he got to. Um, to have this kind of send off. I love that the team was able to really go out and win and win this for him and, and to, and to put his stamp on the game is just, it's just, it's just phenomenal. Um, I, I can't help, but quickly regale if in, in case it hasn't, cause I don't really think I heard people talking about it, but in 2000 and going into the 2007 season after uh, Fitz let Greg Colby and uh, he of the Swiss cheese defense go, um, he called the University of Wisconsin and asked them if he could speak to Dave Doran, their young and up-and-coming linebackers coach. And they said no. <laughs> Quickly elevated him to defensive coordinator, let Hankowitz go and said, no, but you can talk to Mike Hankowitz. And I, I don't know exactly what order that happened in, but it was like very, very fast. And I I don't know what it was like. Two and handed years. us the lottery ticket. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And two years later, I think Dave Doran left Wisconsin to go be head coach at Northern Illinois and then left to go be head coach at, at NC State. And now I don't know what – maybe he's still at NC State actually. But um, I just like – it's it was a – it's kind of a good a good story, if you will, right, of like this guy that, that the University of Wisconsin thought was, was kind of done and not worth hanging on to. Um, 13 years ago and he has put together just a hell of a run at Northwestern and my goodness they were, they've been so much fun to watch I like we, we didn't talk about it but um, I was it the first was it the very first offensive play for Auburn the Hank yeah the Hank yep. he, he drops uh, Ernest Brown into the into the zone like into the into the, the flat um, and Bo Nix almost throws a pick I just, just we've watched the amount of defensive linemen we have watched intercept balls in the Mike Hankwitz administration is just epic. And it's always from that play. Right. And it, yeah, it almost, it almost totally worked. Um, no, I know. It's like Gaztown and Quentin Williams, Quentin of Williams. Course, is the one everyone remembers. Yep. Um, it's the same play. And we had one. Um, at right. Least. Right. I mean, that's pro- it's like a, it's like a club and it was totally the right move. And, and Nick's, was just dying to feed it to him. Um, and it's funny because there are a couple of things, right, which it's it's melancholy for us because we get so deep into the X's and O's that we're going to miss specific things like the Hank and the ability to almost kind of smell it, like rain coming, where you're like, oh, he's baiting them. It's coming. It's coming. Um, and then and the, the classic Hankowitz, right, like deep corner cushions, right, mm-hmm. let you get in a rhythm and then try to take something away. But it's funny to think about that thing in particular. And this is something that obviously we were all so pissed. I think we only indirectly talked about it last week, but when the the Broyles Award was given to friggin' Steve Sarkeesian at Alabama, 
um, for his good look look at Texas. His unbelievable work as a coach, working with an offense that has literally half of the first team All Americans on it. Um, Amazing. Good for you. What what great work by Steve Sarkeesian. Enjoy enjoy your next two to three years at Texas before they get tired of you. Um, Yep. whatever, Whatever. But. So, but lost in, in that, that whole talent thing and the whole ridiculousness of that is that not only as long as Sark's been there, not only has the talent been so extremely high, it's been extremely high at a static level, right? Alabama's basically trotting out the same thing every year. It's like the latest group of ridiculous five stars. It's like, oh, it's like Henry. It's like, we don't have Jalen Waddle anymore, but now it's Henry Ruggs. And it's like, you know, we don't have Mark Ingram this year. Now it's Najee Harris. You know, now it's Derrick Henry. It's like, it's wash, rinse, repeat, right? It's not just that relative to recruiting stars, Hankowitz isn't working with the same full arsenal. It's that his team has changed a ton in the decade plus that he's been at Northwestern. We talked about those deep cushions, right? You've gone to a time where he's working a lot of zone and he's working a lot of really conservative defensive game plans, right? Based around, okay, so like I know where my strengths are. I know where my weaknesses are. I know I've got a perennially stout team on the defensive line. I have the ability to bottle teams up in the run. And if you know, they have ability to target us more through the air. I'm going to play soft and see if they make any mistakes and a lot of that really patient stuff that we got very familiar with. Um, And then the ability to evolve from that into this year's defense that is just aggressive and stacked boxes and playing downhill and, you know, willing to take big chances and corner blitzes. And, you know, it's, it's this flexibility. And, you know, there's the cliche that the that older people, um, you know, uh, not, not going to mention any famous examples, right, are stubborn and don't like to change um, as, you know, as time. And this is a guy who's been coaching for 51 years, and he's open to anything. He's going to adapt and adjust and find the, the right things. And this is a guy who, you know, he's hanging it up with 400 wins, and he was doing that right until the very end experimenting and adjusting trying new stuff and that's why he's great and that's why he deserved to win the broils but he still goes out with an unbelievable resume should we even start to speculate on replacing i i I don't even want to go there yet because like i we well let's i i do want to talk about it a little bit only because we've had a couple of interesting discussions that i feel like it's it's worth at least just like nibbling at yeah i agree i agree um, because I think Scuzz and I both have feelings, that, and I think Sam does too, that there are several blue-chip in-house candidates for this job. And it's going to be really interesting to see if either of them um, get the job. Um, I sort of alluded to it with a tweet earlier that it's almost spooky the way Tim McGarrigle's rise mirrors Jim Leonard's rise. Um, they are almost the same age. They were both stars in the Big Ten at almost the exact same time. They both went to the NFL. Leonard had a more successful NFL career. They both returned to their alma maters as position coaches. They both rose to become some of the best position coaches in the country. And then Leonard was offered the defensive uh, coordinator job. He's now one of the best defensive coordinators in the country. And now McGarrigle's defensive coordinator job is coming over, right? It's easy to forget. In your mind, you're like, well, McGarrigle was just hired. No, he was hired three years ago. 
the firm years. Firm year one, firm year two, firm year three. That's well, Tim McCarrigle's career well, uh, here's, as a position well, coach. Well, and what's what's interesting, and this is the part that I didn't I didn't realize, is that there were a good six years before he got hired at Northwestern, during which he was effectively an NFL linebackers coach um, with various different teams and in various different spots. So like he's, he's, there's a, there's a lot more to his resume than just Northwestern. I think, I think Leonard played for a few years and then like, like, like McGarrell, McGarrell had a couple years on Leonard from a, from a coaching standpoint and then he got into it sooner. Um, I, I wonder, I feel like that they've been kind of grooming Matt McPherson, um, if, if nothing else to have, he interviewed for a head coaching opportunity a couple of years ago. I can't remember where, um, but it feels like they've been, they've been grooming him in some ways. And I, I don't know that this would be the right role for him to take to, to, you know, groom him for the opportunity to take a head coach position elsewhere. Um, what's going through your head right now as you're listening to this is, but, but he's a running backs coach that just took over the defense cause he had to. And no, he was a linebacker in college. He was a defensive grad assistant with Northwestern under Randy Walker, um, who then ended up with the running backs job and had it for 12 years, which is, that's actually the weird part about his resume. Um, and I think, and you heard Hank reference him by name, in that post game press conference where he said yeah, that McPherson, that name that name check is is big that that was really interesting to me because he he specifically called out his work with the DBs and a lot of the ideas that he brought on how they could could run coverages and make use of the talent they had back there and I mean that's the sort of like that's the that's the difference between a position coach and a defensive coordinator right is is to be able to to, to bring those and I'm not saying McGarrigle can't and I'm not saying that we shouldn't hire McGarrigle I I just Reading the tea leaves, I, I'd be shocked if they didn't consider McPherson. It's so weird with McPherson, right? Because we've and cause we we've done these super deep dives. Yeah, the recruiting um, angle is, a, is past, a... <laughs> that sort of that sort of implies, as Scuzz sort of alluded, that he wasn't necessarily a square fit as a running back specific position coach. Yeah. Um, and what's weird about McPherson, and this is what I think Scuzz is alluding to, it's so weird is like this guy, like in so many ways seems like a guy who should be a head coach of a football team. He is a great program builder and he's an unbelievable recruiter. And he's and I think and and like Scott said his background's in defense and now it's possible that as a defensive coach he's able to leverage some things that, you know, he kind of but I think there was and this is to Scott's point of why if you subscribe to the fact that he would have an edge, part of the feeling is I think there was a feeling that Northwestern did everything they could to keep him on the staff, even yes. when there wasn't a, a perfect defensive job for him available because of what he brings to a program. So well, it is well, really specifically interesting. when you think about that in combination with Jerry Brown, who who you knew at some point was going to retire. It was just a question of when, and you've got his heir apparent sitting there on the staff and you're trying to keep him right. Um, and he's, and he's recruiting coordinator and he's doing all that good stuff. So I like, I, I don't know. It's just, it's, Again, I I don't know that defensive coordinator is the right stepping stone to go get him a head coaching job some, somewhere. I'm not sure that that's the way it 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 would it would best progress for him. And and I know nothing about what McGarrigle has been bringing to the table in terms of game planning he, and matchup right, or analysis if he wants, and that sort of stuff. Right, or if he even or if he even wants the job. Yeah, right. exactly. It's like right. It's like and and then just just to cover our bases. So because we haven't brought him up, and he's one of the best defensive line coaches in the country. 
I just have a personal feeling that Marty Long could have had a head coach job or a coordinator job somewhere else if he would have wanted to a while ago. Um, the first thing I think of with Marty Long ever since, ironically, Echo Leota brought it up in a press conference earlier this season is rat holes. <laughs> and going down a rat holes deep dive and finding out that this is ultra-specific terminology to Marty Long that is used in parlance by Northwestern yeah, defensive yeah. linemen. And you can see it. And just being like, this guy's about rat holes and other terms you haven't heard of and other, you know, cutting-edge techniques and things he does that only defensive linemen understand that help make Northwestern's defensive line one of the very best in college football every year. And this is where that dude lives, and he isn't exactly the right place for him. And it's like, so it's like one of those things where it's like, yeah, if if he wants the interview and he wants the job, like, of course he's deserved it. But it feels like this guy was put on earth to coach Northwestern's defensive line, and I think, like, that's what he's going to continue doing but i mean you know and who knows and we don't know there may be some amazing x's and o's outside candidates just interesting you know it was worth going over only because it feels like there are two really heavy duty interviews that are going to have to be done in-house before anything else can be covered here yeah and like the the possibility of bringing someone else in like we went through this last year with the bajakian hire like we put together a list of guys and we just had like, but Jake wasn't anywhere close to, uh, to being on our radar. So if like, if they're not going to go in house, then, then who knows? And I, I re- I hate to even bring this up because I, I don't want to give this, you know, any, any more thought than we need well, to but, at this point. Bef- but like, before you get there, can I just make one quick comment? And that's yeah. that unlike when we hired Hankowitz in 2007, Unlike when we hired Bajakian last year, the Northwestern defense is really good right now. And hiring from within when you have a really good offense, like a really good unit, is is much more palatable and frankly makes more sense, I think, than you know, when when you've got a bad unit that needs an overhaul and you're like, no, 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 we got to go get somebody with new ideas or a new approach who can help shake things up here. So from that perspective, I think like, I, you know, I've been thinking about this all day. Like I was, I was initially like, well, no, I want to go get somebody like Bajakian who can come in and, you know, bring those fresh ideas, et cetera. I, I don't know that we need fresh ideas. Like, like I'm like, I'm, I'm happy for them to, to promote someone internally because of, of, the strength of that unit and the recruiting and the culture and like everything around it, you know, McPherson's been here a long time. McGarrickle lives and breathes this team in the school. Like, like I, like Marty long again has been here forever. Like all those options would be fine from my perspective. Um, but there is this kind of other specter that I think you're alluding to Sammy. Yeah. I mean, you know, you think of another guy who, uh, you know, was an alumni of his of his school and you know, became the head coach and then possibly left. And that's Brian Harson, who <laughs> left Boise State. <laughs> oh, Sam, I didn't see it coming that time. You no, got no I didn't either. That was, oh, that was epic. Even holding that one in the quiver all, all episode. I, I, it, it, I'd just been sitting in my back pocket. I'd been wait, oh, waiting for the perfect goodness. spot for that. No, but the, the Pat Fitzgerald situation, um, you know, Adam Schefter tweets this morning that, you know, Fitz may be open to listening to NFL jobs, and Ryan Day is not. Um, I, I spent all morning with a friend of mine who's a diehard Jacksonville Jaguar fan um, who's trying to figure out whether he can wrap his head around an, an Urban Meyer 
Jaguar team and you know the the scuttlebutt would would have been that Ryan Day could have been the Jaguars second option uh behind Urban um but you know Schefter comes out and tweets that you know Ryan Day is not going anywhere but Fitz might be open to to hearing hearing opportunities and possibilities we talked about this before um I do not in any way shape or form begrudge Fitz from looking around yeah, I think that's the key. And but well, the the, bear, the yeah. Bears made the playoffs. They're probably not firing Matt Nagy after know, backing man. their they way might. into the playoffs. They might. They, they might. might. They, they should. Might. They probably should fire Matt Nagy and try to hire sure. Pat Fitzgerald. Like if I was the Bears, that's one hundred percent what I would try to do. But whether or not they're actually going to do it is 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 a bigger question. And and yeah. I I think there's there are factors that are you know, potentially holding him here at Northwestern. You you heard the announcers. This is one of the few Northwest, Northwestern-centric things they did get to toward the end of the game is is in the conversations with Fitz and the way he talks about the school and the program in Chicago. Like, he doesn't want to leave. I mean, that's that's why we've been saying that it would be the Bears or Bust for, what, five years now we've been saying on that, that on this podcast? Mm-hmm. So yeah. I just, I, like, I think he should hear what they have to say. I'm, I'm sure that he's hearing from his family that, that he needs to do that um, just to know what's out there and to know what he's working with and what he should go back to Northwestern and say, not necessarily pay me X, but Hey, here's what's on the table. What can you guys do? By the way, my priorities are my assistant coaches and facilities. This is my, my understanding is that this has been a lot of the conversation in the past that, that, you know, when Fitz signed his big extension, however many years ago that was that, that there was a big stipulation in there of like, you all need to fix our facilities and Hey, guess what? We've got that lakefront facility now. So like check. Um, so like, like I, I don't, I don't think well, Fitz is doing this to F around with the program or, oh, or anything. You, it's just, there's, there's, it's, 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 it's a reasonable thing that anybody in his position would do. Well, and plus too, we were gaming around because I mean, we're not like the most plugged in people ever. Like I, like you guys, <laughs> you know, you guys probably wonder, you're like, well, do you guys have any inside knowledge? And it's like, no, we don't. I mean, but we do have connections to some people who know some kind of thing. We don't, we're not, we're not like behind closed doors or anything, but it's like a lot of the scuttlebutt we're kind of hearing is that he's probably not going to be leaving. Right. And that's not to say that we don't have any specific knowledge, but if you do stop and you're like, well, how is like, you think Adam Schefter's on the phone with Fitz being like, hey, you interested? And Fitz is like, yeah, I'm going to go talk to some teams. Like, that's like, that's not happening, right? So is it like Fitz's agent or something like that? And then if you think, well, if it is someone, you know, Fitz's representation, the job of an agent is literally to be like, I'm not going to look the massive gift horse of leverage in the mouth. I'd be horrible at my job, right? So if you have a situation where you're like, Northwestern's in flux right now. Jim Phillips is going out the door. They need to hire a new DC, right? It's like, and you have a asset who you represent who has unbelievable value right now. The easiest way is, you know, go out and be like, so what are the dollar figures these NFL teams are going to be throwing at me? And then, right, if you can go back and get more for your guy and he, and you know, Fitz is coming to your agent being like, look, I don't have any time to think about this. You handle this stuff, but whatever you do, try to take care of my assistance because that's what I care about. Right. And it's like, so this is all, it's all opportunities for leverage, right? It's all opportunities for renegotiation and, and whatever else. And the, the problem is we're in a global pandemic right now. And like, college sports or sports in general are just losing money like crazy right now. So like, it's not the 
biggest leverage play? Like, does it make the most sense to to try to pull a leverage play right now? I don't know. So I mean, and it, but again, it's like it may not even be a leverage play. It may just be an agent being like, of course, like if Chef, like if Schefter calls me and he's like, hey, is he interested or whatever? I'm gonna be like, well, we're, if someone's talking, we're gonna be listening. You know what I mean? It's like because then I can whatever we hear, we can take it back. But right, I mean, it's like. We've all heard the same things forever. If it was going to be a team, it would be the Bears. We'll see what happens. Um, but uh, again, like this is a man who at every turn has done the thing we want him to do. And there's no reason for any of us to believe that any of that's suddenly going to change now, given given everything within football. And like you just said, with you know, out without a football in the world in general. There's no reason to believe that any of that's going to change right now. And, and I would expect a, a very quick either kiboshing of this or just some sort of resolution. Because, like, Fitz has been alluding to the fact that we're killing it in the transfer portal recruiting. Like, right. Oh, and we should that's we should bring this up, too. Scuzz has been all over this, especially. Um, all the Northwestern transfer portal stuff. Look at where these guys are transferring. They just want to go home. That's what it is. Kyrick McGowan's going to Georgia Tech, right? Drake has an offer from Arizona that he may very well accept. Um, and you know, I you know, without Gun- knowing, Gunnar Maldonado is has I think has offers from uh, Tulane and Northern Arizona. Right, like Northern Arizona is a real chance for him. Like, don't be surprised if Echo Leota ends up at a North Carolina at an NC State. Yep. It's COVID. It's what these guys have had to go through. It's being far from home. It's like these guys want to play, yes, but they miss family and they've been locked up and it's a crazy situation. A lot of them just want to go home. And I think so. It's one of those things where it's like, right, it, to your point, Scuzz, like, you know, when people are doing all this hand wringing and like, oh, what does this mean and everything? It's like, it just means that these particular group of guys wanted to go be with family in a trying time. It's like, that's, that's it. So it's just one, one more of those things where it's like, don't, don't be pulling your hair out. There's no hard evidence of any of this. That it, it is the, there is some risk of like, things are moving pretty quick in the transfer portal. And it's probably important to note too, like the transfer portal has been, the transfer portal never closes. It's always open. And, you know, guys that you're hearing today or yesterday or tomorrow that are committing to schools are not the guys that entered the transfer portal last week, right? Um, they're guys that have been in the portal since November and since September. And, and these things are start now that teams know what spaces they're going to have, what their needs are. Some of these things are starting to fall into place. There's also still a lot of guys entering the transfer portal. There's a number of four-star players that have entered even even as, as recently as today. And this is probably going to continue. So while while Fitz's, whatever Fitz's, conversations with the nfl might be um here's hoping that they are quick because uh we we do we do need to move things along but if it like if we don't have an answer by wednesday that's also not going to scuttle our chances at at any great players for the transfer portal so um and with that i don't know like do you guys want to talk about any of the uh any of the names oh like names potentially in the transfer portal specifically a qb Go ahead. If you, yeah, I, I'm curious if there's something that you want to talk about. Then, so yeah. I, th- I think this is the interesting one, and where we have gotten like I don't want to call it insider in- info, but some perspective that like the the, the the bet is on next year's starting quarterback either being a transfer portal guy or um, the freshman from Michigan, Sullivan, 
Um, the implication is that is that Hunter Johnson has not shown what he needs to show. I, like I, I know nothing, right? Um, we've we've we were really excited about Hunter's opportunity from last year. God knows, like if anybody was able to really progress this year, right? Um, but there are some really interesting names out there that are that I think are are worth talking about. So um, quarterbacks, uh, Ryan Holinsky is one. This guy was at South Carolina. Had a Northwestern offer coming out of out of high school. I believe he's from. Um, I believe he's from Chicago. Well, no, 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 no. He's I, from California. He's, I'm sorry. He's yeah. from. He's from the yeah the West Coast. Yeah, he's yeah. from the West Coast. So so, you know, from that going home perspective, maybe doesn't make a lot of sense. But he'd be a lot closer to home in Chicago at least. Um, Jack Cohn, another one from New York originally, has entered the transfer portal from Wisconsin. Would be a pretty decent fit for us. People are talking about him. Is a pretty interesting guy, um, O'Hara. I'm forgetting his first name, but uh, he went to Middle Tennessee State out of high school. Ended up in JUCO. Looks to be just a really, really interesting fit for us. And he's from he's from Illinois, um, or, or or played or was was at a was at an Illinois JUCO college. Um, there's a couple. Of, there's a guy at Duke who's never played. There's a guy at uh, UC University of Cincinnati who's never played. I, I feel like we probably need somebody with some experience. So. It's just interesting to, to look at some of these names. Um, I'm going to mess up his name, but Jared, Jared Garantano. 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 Yeah, from, from Tennessee. Ugh. Not not from <laughs> not from Illinois. I don't like Tennessee fans are stupid, man. Like he's he's good. <laughs> he's um, he he's good with a with what might be a bad coaching staff, and um, I think he's a pretty interesting name. The O'Hara guy is interesting to me because he's, he's got two years of of uh, eligibility left, whereas most of these dudes you're talking about one season, um, unless you're getting you know like a like a like a freshman returning home. I've not found a good source to like really be able to to query the um, transfer 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 portalese, if you will. Um, I've just been clicking on them one at a time as I'm able to to kind of scroll. So I don't have a good sense of, you know, other players that are from the Illinois, Indiana, you know, Wisconsin, Iowa area. Um, I will mention that Rocky Lombardi is from Iowa originally. He's already committed to Northern Illinois, but I don't, I don't know how, how locked in those commitments are. I don't really particularly want Rocky Lombardi <laughs> yeah, to be our quarterback about, anyway. So I was about to say, what are I think, you talking about? I think that's fine, but um, I don't know. It's just, it's going to be a really interesting thing to watch play out over the next couple of weeks. Yeah, I think if there's there's only one other one name that I would throw out, and this is not to say that I have any kind of inside information, is a running back, um, Marquis Step, only because this guy, you know, kind of represents like this is a this is a home run swing. It's a it's a big punch, and the short of it is Marquis Step was a massive recruit from Indianapolis um, two years ago, running back um, who signed with USC. And then is transferring out and presumably is coming home. Now, exactly what coming home means, obviously, you're going to start with Purdue, Indiana, and of course, Notre Dame. Um, but I would think if you were to expand that, you would expand it to Northwestern next and then possibly Wisconsin. And I think those are the teams that he's probably going to be circling. And, you know, I think you probably put Notre Dame right at the front. But I mean, it's the kind of thing where. We need to be looking at guys like this. And, you know, from an academic perspective, I don't think we offered him coming out, but Duke offered him, Notre Dame offered him, Michigan offered him. I would think as a transfer, he's very much in play. 
And this would be a home run get. He's a big time player and he's transferring to come home just for all the reasons that we talked about. And I think, again, it's, it's a tall order, but it's, this is the, this is a measuring stick kind of thing, right? So if you're looking at these kind of things, this is a guy who, if we picked him up, all of a sudden we have a blue chip running back core uh, next year with two four-star recruits and Cam Porter. So it's, it's that kind of thing. So again, it's, I have no inside information, but I guarantee we are in the running for this guy. Um, and it's exactly the kind of big dividend that we'd be hoping uh, would come through for the number 10 team or higher in the country um, in, a, in a year like this. So that's the only one I've got, and we'll see on everything else. You know, men's and women's basketball happened today. We mentioned that earlier. They were both terrible games against Michigan. We'll talk hoops moving forward because uh, we definitely will. Any other... Yeah. Can we can we hit some pirate booty from the citrus? Bowl? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, let's do it. There's so there and, there and like I specifically want to mention this one because I noticed it at the time. It got me out of my seat and it was just it was awesome. So AJ Hampton, right? Um, Bo Nix tried to hurdle AJ Hampton just like Trey Sermon did in the Big Ten championship game, and this time AJ Hampton was like no effing way, and did some bodily harm to Bo Nix as a result, and it was phenomenal. And generally, I thought A.J. Hampton played pretty good in this game. I mean, like, you know, he got beat on that one that one deep play. Like, like I said, he, I think he thought he had safety coverage behind him. But um, outside of that, I thought he played really well and looks to be um, probably, I mean, possibly one of our starting corners next year. I Well, it's it's funny, the you, you going with corners, because I think if there was pirate booty, you know, a, a less obvious one to hand out. I would hand it out to Cameron Mitchell, who really was a revelation over the past, let's say, two, two or games. three games. Yeah, yeah, really kind of came out of nowhere. This is a guy who had kind of played safety and corner, and then suddenly he's in a bowl game, you know, looking like the heir apparent to Newsom. Um, and, you know, I think as of right now, we'd be looking, you know, we're probably looking at Mitchell and Hampton as the starting two next year. Um and then, you know, Hurd and Ruiz. And again, that competition is all still wide open. But, I mean, all of a sudden you've got another guy throwing his hat in the ring in a big way. And, you know, this is to say we, we were talking, Sam and I, before the pub, we're kind of going down the corner depth chart for next year and being like, man, we got a lot of guys. <laughs> like, Jaheim Joseph was a big-time recruit. He redshirted this year. Well, I mean, everyone got the extra year of eligibility, but, I mean... It's a it's a stacked cornerback depth chart, even losing an All American. Um, so that's I'll throw out Pirate Booty to Cam Mitchell, and then, and offensively, I'll just go obvious all the way. It's Peyton Ramsey um, in what we hope, but very well was his last Northwestern game. Um, played out of his mind. I mean, we again, please come back, Peyton Ramsey, come back. What can we do? Um, but if if, he, if you're moving on, happy trails, good sir. But um, we kind of talked about it very quietly was, you know, pretty, pretty clearly the th- number three quarterback in the conference this year and was not perfect, but was excellent at times and steady all the way through and was the difference, right? I mean, we talked about like all the problems last season and was the offense this year perfect? No, but the leap that came along with him coming in and everything that he brought was such a, a massive factor. And it's easy to to look at just this one game and, you know, him playing arguably his best game of the season and his last game of the season um, is an easy thing. But, I mean, it's it's a symbol for everything else that he did this year and, and everything he brought to the program. So massive pirate booty for Peyton Ramsey. 
Yeah, I like I. I'll be honest. I don't know that. Like we already talked about Cam. Cam obviously gets um, some booty for just like the hard the hard yards and you know the, the his physicality in taking it to Auburn in a way that that I don't think any other back on our on our roster could could do. I'll also say it was just it was nice to see um, T.J. Green uh, and and Jesse Brown get to go out there and and take the last couple snaps for Northwestern. Um, a send off to to. To those two guys, obviously Jesse Brown awarded the, the number one jersey this year. T.J. Green in his in his sixth year, there was a great tweet that he had that like like basically listing off all the hardware that he racked up as a member of the Northwestern football team for six seasons. Which six is, hats, yeah, six hats, uh, five bowl trophies, um, two Big Ten West championships. I mean, it's 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 how pretty, is, pretty how spectacular. Is, how was the Lovey Smith era for T.J. Green? I'd love to know. <laughs> <laughs> So, um, and then I don't know, like may- maybe a little bit of love just for, for, for our, uh, our crush all year, man, bear, Pete, Peter Skaronsky, who, um, I, I think I, I noticed Auburn coming at him multiple times. And we like, g- generally it wasn't a problem coming from the left side. I, I think they got, they got around the edge a couple times on the right side, but, um, just like call this a season award for, for the freshman who was just phenomenal at left tackle all year and presumably will, will stay there in the, in the foreseeable future. Um, just played with poise, played with, uh, aggression, played with violence. And it was a, it's a beauty, beautiful thing to behold. Of course I hamstring myself by going last on this. Um, cause you guys took the guys who I had in mind. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to focus on, uh, two guys who I think were really the heart of, both the offense and the defense, uh, both in this game and all season, um, offensively, RCB. Like, yeah. you talk about yeah. a guy who, oh, yeah. like, started off, you know, with that first touchdown, and then, you know, you can, you can tell just all season long that RCB elevated his game to the next level and really was, like, the beating heart of that offense. Like, he seems to be a guy who really tied that entire uh, unit together. Um, so, you know, major pirate booty for RCB. Defensively, I'm going to go with a guy um, who also, you know, really kind of, I think, brings people together. And that's Joe Spivak. I mean, yes. the, the guy is hilarious. Uh, you know, he reminds me so much of Bo Sizek. It, it's, it's amazing. But, like, he played a lot more this season than I think he was planning on. Because you know, we thought there was going to be just this giant rotation of the defensive line, especially in the middle. And due to injuries, Spivak found himself playing most of the season just right up the gut, you know, clogging everything up up the middle. And he had a sack on Bo Nix. And that's awesome. Like, you know, he's, he's going out with a sack in his bowl game. Um, both these guys, you know, the heart that each of them brings to this team I think we're gonna we're gonna miss a lot next year. I I he's one of those ones where like Joe I think has been at Northwestern for four years, and I was just thinking where I'm like, if he wanted that fifth year, it's there. I don't know if you know what the depth depth of defensive line or I mean, but this is a guy who started all season was a crucial guy, and I only throw that out because it's like 
if he comes back, you know he's getting number one. Oh yeah, like it's not, it's not, <laughs> it's not even a question. Like I think, like that would almost be like an enticement to be like, well, you know, you're getting the number one jersey if you come back, right? So I think <laughs> Bo Sizek probably would personally present him with that number one jersey. But, um, but anyway, I, but you know, and that's that's neither here nor there, right? As everything Sam said is true. He was just the man this season, and uh, Jake and Joe inside, and yeah, absolutely, absolutely deserved. Well, and there there will be. There will be a lot of senior turnover on this team. It's funny because there's 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 the depth chart is basically a bunch of freshmen and a bunch of seniors, <laughs> um, you know. So just just to to name off, you got RCB, you got Riley Lee's, uh, Nick Urban, Gunnar Vogel, John Rain and Peyton Ramsey, obviously graduating. Um, in the in the in the depth behind, nobody really listed. I'm sure there's some depth guys there, so I apologize for for not hitting everyone on the defensive side. Jake Saunders, Joe Spivak, like you just mentioned, Ernest Brown, Blake Gallagher, Patty Fisher, Chris Bergen, uh, Eric Mueller. Although Ber- Bergen kind of intimated he would be back would he? next season. I mean, he he said that post game. I don't. I we'll, yeah. we'll see if that actually happens. But he's like, hell yeah, I'm coming back. But that's Chris Bergen. He's insane. Yeah. Yeah, and then you got J.R. Pace, uh, who announced today he's he's gonna he's gonna try to go pro, which makes sense, right? He's been playing for four years. Um, Greg Newsom, of course, has already said that as well. So, like, I, it's you know, it's the better part of of the of both units. However, when you look at Man Bear Pete, you've got Josh Preeb and Ben Rather basically ready to step in for those those two graduating senior offensive linemen. And Zach Franks and got, Charlie Schmidt yep. and we're good. We're and, good at the offense. And line. the guys we just inked this year. You've got Cam Porter at running back. You've got Tyus uh, Anthony incoming. Um, even Evan Hall, who was a redshirt freshman this year, and and I, you know, he's 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 a good depth guy, right? Uh, Bryce Kurtz as a freshman, Wayne Dennis as a as a as a redshirt freshman, and then on the defensive side, uh, Adabataware. Hopefully we get Sam Miller back next year. Um, Devin O'Rourke uh, was a sophomore, Richard sophomore this year. We got plenty of plenty of time left from him. Trevor Kent is Jason Gold a senior? I don't think so. No, no, Gold has got plenty of eligibility. Yeah, yeah. so Tre- Trevor Kent, Jason Gold, Blake Wyatt, all you know, still filling out the ranks at DT. Um, Pete McIntyre, like people have been chomping at the bit to get this guy on 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 the the field. There's a gif of him Ch- chomping at the bit, like Pete McIntyre chomping on a grapefruit. Is that <laughs> exactly. Right? Yes. Um, uh, Jalen Rivers, um, Mac Uline, um, four star guy in in Chicago coming come. I could see him as a four year starter, a la Patty Fisher. Uh, there's just maybe Patty Fisher wasn't a four four year starter, but but I could see him, you know, getting on the field sooner rather than later. And then, you know, we've talked about, like, <laughs> Brandon Joseph. Brandon Joseph was a redshirt freshman this year. My God. Um, Cameron Ruiz is a junior. Uh, Rod Hurd and A.J. Hampton are both back. Coco Zima, Bryce Jackson. You mentioned Jaheim Joseph. We've got other guys in the second. I mean, there's there's a lot to be excited about coming back on this team, even though we have a ton of losses. I just want to say one other thing, too, um, which is, and, and I know a lot of you are going to roll your eyes, but we go back far enough to remember a guy who, had notable playing time in his first year at Northwestern and was just really a hot mess and then kind of went into the cave uh, for a couple of years and then came out. And his name was Mike Kafka. And Mike Kafka was basically a different person later on when he suddenly stepped into the fold as a veteran quarterback. I'm not saying that there's some magic elixir that's been poured into like the quarterbacks that are on our roster. We don't know anything. Um, but just 
we maybe get an impact transfer or maybe Peyton comes back or maybe neither of those things happen. But don't just sell the entire rest of the quarterback room short, um, given all of that. I mean, there's a real possibility that one or more of those guys is going to take a big leap. Um, and and that this time and this extra tutelage was everything they needed to unlock that. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I will say maybe like the 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 other thing I did here today was was um, Mike Bajakin's name being thrown out in some NFL circles. That would be an unfortunate and kind of scary, um, scary loss to go along with everything else, but. Um, you know, we'll, we'll just, we'll just take this stuff as they come. I mean, the, the, the reality is the talent is strong. The facilities are strong. The, the structure around this program is strong. The assistant coaches are awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, I like, like you think about Anderson and McPherson and Lewis Yeni coming in with, the, with the running backs, McGarrigal. I mean, like it is a, it's a freaking awesome staff. So, um, I think things are going to work out, and I think um, we're going to be in good hands. Whether or not we can compete for the West next year, we're just going to have to wait to see where some of these chips fall. But um, this team is built to be in the conversation going forward. Like period. We won't be because our laundry doesn't match the, the national uh, narrative, but you're absolutely right. We should be. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Nebraska is going to turn the corner next year, but oh, yeah. you know, no, for sure. aside from that, um, Did, didn't they just uh, sign a, a four star out of Hawaii who'd never been to Lincoln? Uh, amazing, just oh, amazing. Boy. Yeah, have, have fun with that. So, yeah, no, but I mean, but we kid, but right, this is this team is still going to be stacked next year, and you know, there are other good teams in the West that we've handled two of the last three years. So. um there's every reason to believe that Northwestern's got a chance to win the West yet again next year. And you know we didn't we didn't bring this up, but it, it does it does come to mind. Um, we've avenged the 2009 Outback Bowl loss to to Auburn in in a way, right? Like we put a put a pretty solid beat down on them. Um, hopefully we don't play them again in subsequent years because you know Brian Harson's going to turn that thing into a, a national championship contender, but. Um, I, pretty, I think he already has, and he's been on campus for like two days. And... That's true. The recruiting is is gangbusters, right? Um, but kind of crossing that off of our of our checklist is nice. I'd love to get Tennessee in a similar situation um, mm. in the coming years. But uh, but yeah, it was, it was definitely nice to be on the right side of Peyton going crazy at the Citrus Bowl. <laughs> I, I did I did like the bit at the beginning of the of the game. I, I, I assume you guys caught this as well, but Peyton Ramsey has two brothers also named for quarterbacks. Yep. Um, his older brother is Montana and his younger brother is Drew. I don't know if Drew, Drew Peyton is I, I don't know if Drew Peyton is, is committed anywhere yet, but Yeah, no, I mean it's it was it was. It was good to get the to avenge the loss and right, I mean to, to right, the all the kismet and everything and everything from that classic video of Peyton Manning and, and uh Pat Fitzgerald from, oh my that God. was so utterly nineties tacular from uh from before that game. But right, I mean there's all the all those parallel threads and everything and, and hey, remember when Northwestern hadn't won a bowl game in forever? Well now it's like we can't stop winning bowl games. Yeah, so. five in a five in a row. Nothing yeah. wrong with so, that. Right. So and for us, I mean, our, the pod has encompassed all of this. So it's been wild to to go through 10 years and seeing, you know, these kind of transitions and everything. And and again, here's hoping that we maintain the key stability that, that we're looking to maintain and that we keep rolling forward. So 
uh, we'll come back next week. Um, not entirely sure if we'll be previewing or recapping the national championship game uh, between Alabama and Ohio State. Um, Ohio State win, which would definitely raise our, uh, at least our mindset of where you know Northwestern fits in kind of the national scope of things. Um, you know that might be one of our biggest wins is that Ohio State loss if they go on to win the championship. But that that's that's for down the road. Um, you know we'll be back to talk men's and women's hoops. Uh, tonight, notwithstanding, it's been a, pr- a pretty solid start uh, for both those programs so far. We shall see how they're able to bounce back from the double Wolverine drumming uh, that we uh, ran into today. Uh, so we'll be back. We'll talk men's and women's hoops. Um, any other news that comes up uh, around the football team, uh, transfer portal, uh, whatnot, um, if there's any more smoke to the fire that may or may not be Pat Fitzgerald moving. Um, obviously, the, the AD search is something that we're going to be keeping a very close eye on. The DC search, uh, as that develops, will be around to talk about that. Um, any last things before we get out of here? Just enjoy it, everybody. We were a top 10 football team in the country this year. Um, enjoy it. Um, enjoy it. You know, the guys should enjoy it. But uh, this was great. It was an awesome season in a really tough year. Enjoy every minute of it um, and, and enjoy, you know, regardless of what the rest of the nation wants to think, um, enjoy being a top 10 team and everything that comes along with that. And then maybe maybe finally, thanks to y'all for listening to us and uh, helping promote and share our, our podcast and bring, bring more people to this um, uh, to this community. Uh, diehards for Northwestern football. I think we've seen our, our listener base and our our following grow uh, quite a bit this season, which has been really, really awesome. And want to pay a little homage um, to you all who have helped helped with that. So thank you. Yeah, uh, absolutely, one hundred percent. One big thing, if you you know can go ahead and give us like a, a rating on Apple Podcasts or whatever uh, platform you're listening to the pod, that definitely helps quite a bit as we. Uh, continue to go we're not going anywhere the yes northwestern football season is over but we're not going anywhere we do this year round um you know we've got like like i said we've got winter sports we've got softball baseball I and mean, all that to talk about coming up in the spring spring football practice um our summer previews our live nfl draft pod which will have some northwestern feel to it especially in the first round like oh, i can't, yeah i can't wait you know sitting at number nine, the Denver Broncos select Rashawn Slater. I don't know. That'd be pretty sweet. Um, but I, uh, I know who'd be getting a new jersey if that happened. Uh, hell yeah, I would. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, thank you to all of you for, for sticking with us, for listening with us, for engaging with us. It's been a hell of a lot of fun for us. And, you know, I know from hearing from a lot of you, it's been a hell of a lot of fun for you guys too. So, uh, Definitely appreciate it. It's been an insane football season, just top to bottom, um, from not knowing if it was going to happen at all to, you know, the multiple starts and stops and restarts and restops and whatnot. But uh, the fact that we made it all the way through and finished the season is incredible. And yep. just a testament to all of the, the players, all the students, all the staff, all the support staff. Everyone who worked their asses off to get 
a full season in and and we were able to do it and that's just incredible yeah it really is I, maybe one other thing to mention we've been talking about this off and on all year but you know just knowing at the start of the season the the, the kind of resources that were going to be required to, to get college football off the ground and to make this possible right within the big 10 and elsewhere um we had a listener reach out sam um is the name of that listener who reached out and asked us about you know giving back to the community just to to help you know help account for for that that resource cost and and what it was going to require um to give us football this fall and so we've been supporting uh soul and smoke a a um caterer uh located in evanston who they've they've been delivering meals to, to folks in need in chicago throughout the year we've donated uh over 70 meals to them and we made weekly weekly donations uh to their organization um, which may not sound like a lot, but you know, uh, it feels like it feels it feels good to give to give back, and, and we know that there are others um, amongst uh, this listener base that have done the same thing. So we would encourage everyone to continue doing that, especially with everything going on and, and the fact that there's a lot of people still struggling out there right now. So couldn't have said it any better myself. So we'll go ahead and leave it there for tonight. Head to our website, westlawpirates.com, where you can leave comments and questions. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, at Pirates, And you can always email the show, westlawpirates at gmail.com. Tune in next time as we give our visceral and statistical views on Northwestern athletics. And look for us in the West Slot of Ryan Field playing the red pirate flag, because we give no quarter, especially the fourth. For John Lacombe and Eric Skazbar, I'm Sam Walter. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time.